To Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Groups Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Uh, we're going to take a moment and have Joseph give our joke. Hey, how you doing? I'm Joey or Joseph the Jokester here with another classic joke for you. So <laughs> this one's great. All right, <laughs> two <laughs> two jumper cables walk into a bar. One of them says, "We'd like a couple beers, please." The bartender says, okay, but don't start anything. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Um, uh, I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is James. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make make noise or might distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's begin. Thank you. 
going to say the fog light prayer. God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Awesome. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Andrew to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it's kind of important to know what one is. I'm a recovered alcoholic. The name of the problem is Andrew. Spiritual Experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes, or religious experiences, must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change would hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn it off. I'm going to welcome back Keith for his fifth session, fifth session. Uh, Give it up for Keith. (sighs) Good evening, everyone. My name is Keith, and I am an alcoholic. And uh, it's an honor to be here tonight and uh, to do this. You know, work has been getting crazy, so it's always good to come here and, you know, feel at home. And, um, you know, 
So yeah, we're on the fifth week and it's going by pretty fast. Seven more to go. Can't wait for that to get here. Just, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, this is it's getting easier and it's getting better. But uh, I was sitting here. I try not to like script what I'm going to say because it never comes out that way anyway. But I also don't believe. I mean, obviously God is speaking through me, but I don't believe He's just going to come in and poof whatever I'm going to say. So I try to get some bullet points and talking points and stuff and. Hopefully it makes sense tonight. Um, you know, I was thinking too, last month was a big month for me. You know, I do a lot of reflecting during this time of the year. That's when I got sober. But uh, this month, coming this Monday, I will be at my job that I have now for 15 years. And I don't say that to like, you know, get that applause, but thank you, Michael, and the rest of you guys. But I was thinking about it, and that, to me, the word that kept coming to mind was consistency. And, uh, before I got sober, I was, I never, number one, worked in a place for 15 years and my life was never consistent, you know, and um, this program has given me a way of life today that is truly indeed everything I could want in life ever, you know. I can't believe I'm here, you know what I mean? So it's just one of those things, um, whenever I speak, I get, you know, more, not philosophical, but more thought-provoking about stuff and it's just incredible with this life. So last week we talked about step four, and that was the first action step that I took when I first got here um, in this thing called recovery. And, you know, they read how it works, and then how it works, what is how it works? What is it? It is this program, not the fellowship. And, again, I'm not bashing the fellowship. The fellowship is amazing. That's where I go to see somebody who needs help and reach out my hand and hopefully help put his hand in God's hand. But for me, the program is this book. And um, tonight we're talking about step five. And again, as I read this step, you know, it's telling me that I'm going to have to bear my soul to another person and, and, and trust. And uh, again, trust for me was not a thing that I was used to coming in. And um, even when I got with Joe and John and again, these guys did everything they could for me and they, and they saved my life. And I still didn't trust completely with those two. You know what I mean? There were still some things that I held on to. And I'm going to talk about that. Uh, in a little bit, but, uh, I'm gonna come out of the book. I'm going to go back and, you know, um, review some of the stuff I've talked about, but I'm going to start and start reading in, in, uh, you know, chapter six, it says in the action. And I used to love when John and Joe would always say, yeah, a lot of people do this part of the process and they they think it says in the thinking, you know, you know, it's not in the thinking, it's in the action. And um, so chapter six says, having had made our personal inventory, which we just did in step four, what shall we do about it? Here it is. We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator. Right. And again, when I came here, I didn't want nothing to do with the creator or with God. You know, I told you a couple weeks ago, I wasn't an atheist, but I was definitely an agnostic. And me and Mike were talking outside the meeting just now, you know, back in the day when Bob and Bill did this, Bob would take guys upstairs and I really give you life to Jesus Christ. Thank God Joe and John didn't say that to me because I would have been out the door. Like, that was not a thing. That If that would have been the requirement for you to get this thing, <laughs> I wouldn't be here right now because that wasn't going to happen. So it says, uh, and to discover the obstacles in our path, we've admitted certain defects. We've ascertained in a new way the, tr- the trouble we have. I'm sorry. We have ascertained certain defects, and we have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We've put our finger on the weak, weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. These require action on our part, which completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. Again, 
I had to be taught this, like the four-step inventory. Yeah, I got to see who you got when I showed up on the scene, and I got to see all the, the damage I've done and the people I hurt, but it wasn't like a look at it and say, oh, I'm going to say sorry for that. No, I need to know the exact nature of the hurt and the harm. I need to know exactly why I did what I did. I need to find out what, was, what made me tick, and that's what that four-step did. It says this. This brings us to the fifth step of the program of recovery, and mentioned in the preceding chapters. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have well enough, we've done well enough to admit these things to ourselves, right? There's no doubt about that in a practical sense. We usually find a, self, a solitary self-appraisement insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We'll be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do it. The best reason first. If we skip this vital step, we will not overcome our drinking. Like, so he's warning me right there that if I don't do this fist up with another person, I'm bound to drink again. And, and I've seen countless alcoholics go back out over this deal. It says time and time again, we've, we see newcomers try to keep to themselves certain defects about themselves. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they turn to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is they never completed their house cleaning. They never, they took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst stock, items in stock. They only thought they had given up their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we had find it necessary until they told someone all their life stories. So in that brief two short paragraphs, he uses the word humble, humility, like three times. And, uh, I can honestly say that I wasn't humble when I got here. And if I, I won't even say that word now, nah, I'm humble. That's kind of like the total opposite of being humble. But um, I've heard different um, definitions of humility, right? And the best one I, that I, my personal favorite one is the one in the, in the 12 and 12 and the fifth chapter five. And it talks about a clear recognition of who and what I really am, right? A clear recognition of who and what I really am. Until I got here, I didn't know who and what I really was. So let's talk about who and what I really am. We started way back in the first step in the first two weeks. You know, we find out, I find out what I am in, when it comes to alcoholism. I find out what makes me an alcoholic, right? And uh, again, it's just me having this understanding that once I start, I can't stop. And then once I'm stopped, I can't stop starting, right? Powerlessness, simple, got it, crystal clear, right? That lives for me. Like, I don't need to be beaten over the head with that. I can mirror that to my past. I know that when I got here at 35, I wanted to die. I was too much of a coward. So that lives for me. I remember those things. I remember those days going out. I remember saying I'm only going to have one. I'm only going to do a 20. So when that, when that was broken down to me, again, I understood that information. I got that, right? And then step two, I don't believe. I'm coming to you to tell me I got to believe right now. I'm not believing right now. But I'm dying. But Joe just said a little mustard seed of hope. Like, be open to it. Be willing to believe. Be willing to believe that something's possible. Something else is different, right? Step three, made the decision to turn my will, which is my thoughts and my life, which is my actions over the care of God as I understood him. Again, I don't know what that means. And I know this sounds, you know, if you've been here all five weeks, that sounds repetitious, but, you know, it's my story. And, uh, Step three, in the beginning, I, I, I couldn't buy into that. Again, the God thing was foreign to me. I didn't want nothing to do with him. Right? I'm not trying to get this new relationship with him. At the time, I just wanted to not feel the way I felt on July 14th. I didn't want to feel that way. 
right? July 15th when I surrendered, but July 14th, up to that time, I don't want to feel that anymore, right? So a clear recognition of who and what I am. So then the first three proposals are done, right? It's not like Pat, those guys do the steps in five weeks. Think about that. Five weeks, five hours. Throwing four and five, or four and five. But they go through the whole process in that amount of time. That's how quick this can be done, right, if you're committed to it. So then we get to the fourth step, a clear recognition of who and what I really am. Now, up until this point, until I did the fourth step inventory, I could tell you certain things of who I was. I could be, I told you before, I was a, I was a great actor. I wore lots of masks, lots of hats, right? No authenticity there. It was, that wasn't the real me. Right. So I write this stuff down on paper. I get it down on, on paper and, and I see, you know, I didn't think I had resentments when I got here. I had lots of resentments. I didn't think I had fear when I got here. I had lots of fears. You know what I mean? Um, the sexual thing, again, it wasn't about the sex. It was about what I did to these women. You know what I mean? It wasn't always sex, but it was the hurt and harm I did to these people. Right? I never looked at that stuff ever. So who am I? I'm a scumbag. My word means nothing. I'm a liar. I'm a cheat. Um, I'm lazy. I'm a taker. All these things. And, and again, Joe and them looked at me and they was like, of course you're the, It's not why is your life so screwed up. Of course your life is screwed up given how you were living, right? That's not what God had intended for me to be. But that's who I was. And it's not an easy thing to look at. And again, I wasn't scared of the fourth step. I, I didn't know what it was going to be. But looking at it on paper, I saw like, man. I am truly a scumbag. How am I going to fix this? And then, of course, I look forward to that fist up, and it says, admit it to God and to another human being. I can admit to God, right, because whatever, he's all powerful. He can just zap me into right acting, but no. I had to, uh, number one, trust. I had to have a little bit of humility. And I believe, yes, humility is a principle behind the seventh step, but I believe humility is in all these steps, right? It takes a lot, a lot of humility to admit something's got me defeated in step one. Like, that goes against everything I'm taught as a man growing up. Step two, coming to believe in this power that I don't believe in. That takes humility, right? Step three, turning my will and my life over to this thing I don't believe in. Humility. Step four, looking at myself, writing this stuff down fearlessly, honestly. Takes some humility. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning these things. But he, he talks about this, um, you know, I said it last week. Like, I've heard lots of descriptions of God. And, and in the book, Bill talks about deep down in every man, woman, and child is a fundamental ideal of God. He may be covered up by pomp, calamity, circumstance, but he's there, right? So here we come to the show and tell of the process. I do this at our home group every now and then to give it context, right? So if God is deep down with every man, woman, and child, right? So this represents me, right? This is my insides, dark, right? Shame, guilt, remorse, like... Uh, the seven deadly, so to speak, right? This is me, July 14th, when I come into AA, wanting to kill myself. I sit down with Joe on the couch, and I'm, he gives me the, the talk, and he tells me what's possible, but I must do certain things. They're not suggestions. There's certain directions. Am I willing to follow directions? Of course, I shake my head. I'll do anything, right? This is what's possible if I do the process, Right? Take the garbage out. All that stuff. Doesn't mean I'm rented white as snow. It just means I have a new employer that 
who you got, who I got, who you got when I showed up on the scene, that man has to die, literally, right? The guy I uncovered the step for has to die. We do that in six and seven. But up until this point, this is me, right? I do that for step inventory. I have a little hope. I got some skin in the game. You know, I made that decision. I validate that decision with the four-step inventory. I write that four-step inventory, and I got a little hope. You know what I mean? You know, the, the third-step promise, the four-step promise, fear begins to dissipate. I'm at the halfway house. Life is starting to get better. You know, mom knows I'm dying. She knows where I'm at for the first time in seven years. I got a job for the first time in who knows however, and it's a job not in the restaurant because, again, my belief system back then was I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. The only job I can get that I think that that's, you know, conducive to my lifestyle is in the restaurant business. But now I got different perspective on life through this four step inventory. Again, I'm still nothing's been done. I just know myself a little bit better. Right. But what happens is a lot of times. So this is who I am. This is who I want to be. Right. But a lot of us like to mix old with new. Right. And as a book talked about, you know, I did that four step inventory. But the house cleaning didn't really come. I didn't really house clean, right? So what I started doing is this, you know, I start lying again. Start hitting on little Susie at the 101 club. Start 13-stepping her, all right? Start calling and just work, being sick. Oh, I'm not really sick, though. Start going out to the casino. I haven't had a woman in a long time, so you know what? I'm going to call one of these whatever Escort services, come on over. And what happens? Something old, something new. I can't get something new by mixing with something old, right? And, and when I first saw that, I was like blown away because that, that was me. I was still, six months in, I still was doing that. I still wasn't drinking, but I was still doing the same old stuff. I was still doing the same, the same stuff that got me the jackpot. It just wasn't as glaring, you know, because I lived in the halfway house and Joe had his foot up my butt, but not really. You know, I'm a good complier. Like I'm, I'm like that, that actor, right? I tell you what you want to hear. I had two conversations. I had the outside conversation, which was everything's great. Yeah, God is great. I'm all in. I'm a poster child. I'm solutions poster boy. But on the inside, hey, I got my own plans. I'm going to smoke weed when I got here because I didn't get in trouble smoking weed. You know what I mean? I'm going to go back to New York. Yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Atlanta. Yeah, that makes sense. And we're going to find out here in this fist up, like, again, I didn't trust anyone, right? And a lot of people think Joe was my sponsor or was my sponsor. He's never been my sponsor, but he knows me in and out, like, better than anyone. So this house cleaning that they talk about, This is what we do. This is, and, and I believe this is where the, the whole life story thing gets mixed in and, and jar, jar, garbled. It says, but they hadn't learned enough humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense that we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. So, again, you remember last week when I told you when I did the four-step inventory, and I've heard people say, you know, the four-step inventory is done. Let's burn it. Let's throw it away. No, don't do that. We need it for the rest of the work, especially this step. So with the presence of my sponsor and God, you know, my sponsor happened to be my first boss, and um, which is a cool thing because, as you'll find out later on in my process, I had to go make some criminal amends. And uh, he had told me, because he saw the change, that uh, whatever, whatever I got, my job was still waiting for me. 
but I'll say that to a later story. So it says this, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. I just talked about that, right? He's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is who he likes his fellows to see. He wants us to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. And again, I, I, that was me. I saw that, and I still see that today. Again, I try not to judge people. And I, Peter was big on me switching that point of view because I, 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 one time I was, uh, I would go to meetings and I would character assassinate the speaker. I would judge people who were chronic relapsers. You know what I mean? Like, why couldn't you get this? It's here for and and, and who am I to think that? You know what I mean? But um, this double actor, even to this day, I could you know try to try to seek your approval in, in certain things. And um, with the double actor part, you know something happened. As a matter of fact, a year ago, Monday, but uh, I'll discuss that later on too. Again, I am not rendered white as snow because I'm sober. I'm, I'm still a broken man, and, and, but I'm not what I was in this four-step inventory. That is, you know what I mean? So let's not get it twisted. I'm not sitting here beating myself up. I'm just not that guy. But I don't want you to think because I'm 17 years sober that, oh, Keith is walking on water and Moses and stuff. Not happening. So it says this, the inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories inside and far inside of him. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking, right? So my fifth step, I pretty much told my sponsor everything. When we went down, we went through the list and the resentments, you know, my mother, my father, whatever, you know, he held me accountable. He had me see it in a different light. So, again, I don't want to say that, you know, I wasn't one of those addicts who, who, who was a dredge on their family. Like, I would go home and send me to treatment mom for another 30 days and $90,000 or I went home and I stole money. No, that wasn't what I did. I, didn't, I wasn't like one of those addicts who went home and was a, a, a drain on the family. What I did do, I was a runner, right? I was more of an emotional terrorist. I was more of a emotional, um, what would you call it? Feeling sucker, so to speak. You know what I mean? <sighs> Talking to my mom nowadays, you know, she, she, she downplays it, but I know. You know what I mean? I know what I did to her. And he had me see the exact nature of that hurt that I did to her. You know what I mean? And I didn't, my mind, and again, the self-centeredness of this thing has me say to myself, I wasn't hurting nobody but myself, right? That, that for me to minimize it to that, like I didn't hurt anybody but myself, brothers and sisters. I wouldn't hurt anybody but myself. Right. And, and that's the first thing from the truth. Right. So, again, he had me look at these things and he had me see for the first time I authored everything that happened in my life. Right. Up until this point. And it was always, again, I'm the biggest victim when I get here. It's your your fault. My life sucks. But as I look at this fist up inventory, I see, no, I authored everything. Right. These um, instincts. And again, the 12 and 12 for me, I, I, I love the 12 and 12. It, uh, it goes in depth in, in the fourth step about these instincts that drive us. Like my instincts, again, I didn't think I had what they were talking about, but I had some very, uh, the sex instinct was huge for me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I was a pervert, but <laughs> I was a very, uh, that was huge, right? And, and, and that ran me as far as women, like 
until my last relationship, I never had a serious relationship. Because after three months or whatever it was, I would run or I would do something to hurt that woman to make her run. You know what I mean? And and that is, that's not what God created. He created us to procreate. He created us to be with another person like that. But me, I, that's not what I wanted, right? And he had me look at that because I didn't think I was that bad of a guy. Like I didn't, you know, knock somebody up or I didn't hit women or nothing like that. Hell, that might have been less harmful to them. But what I did do is draw them in get what I want, and then bounce, right? And he had me look at that. I never looked at that. Like, what? Again, with my brothers and sisters and my family, I, you know, I was a terrorist to my father, right? And I found out later that he did ask about me growing up, that he did offer to take care of me. I didn't know that stuff, but I played the victim. You know what I mean? I I got people, other people around me who had the same situation. Listen to this bullshit, you know what I mean? And uh, it was like, let me draw you into this. Who's got the worst sob story and stuff, right? So, again, talked about it before. Me and him are best friends today. But during that time, I was an emotional terrorist. And I didn't, I, I didn't see that. I didn't think that men could feel that way, right? I didn't think that I could have intimate, authentic relationships with men, right? And uh, with my sponsor, right? I chose this man to hear this fist up because I wanted what he had. And, and again, the word intimacy, right? Again, I got to be taught these things. So the word intimacy to me when I got, before I got here, meant sex, right? But through this process, I get a different pair of glasses. I get a new pers- perspective, a new perception on life. And intimacy means to me nowadays, into me see, right? So this man, my sponsor at the time, I told this man pretty much everything. Like there was this one thing I wasn't going to tell anybody. And that's due, due to my criminal thing. And the book is clear about this. This one thing could take you out. And thank God I didn't go out. But there was a secret that I had, right? I had some warrants for my arrest. I got down to Florida. I got sober. But I didn't tell him about this secret. And at the time, I'm thinking, because where I'm from, you don't tell on yourself. Like, you just don't do that, right? And I'm trusting him. I trusted you up to this point, but I can't trust him with that information. I can't, I don't know for sure that he's not going to turn me in, right? I didn't murder anybody, but there's a warrant for my arrest. And in my mind, I'm looking at 20 years in prison because I got three DUIs in six months. And if the cops found me, I'm going to prison. And I, and I tell you how tough I am, but I won't do well in prison. You know what I mean? So I kept this secret. So let's talk about my uh, recovery, right? So I'm sober. I'm at the house. I'm doing my deal. And, um, you know, this thing is, is dogging me. And I never understood why Joe in his infinite wisdom never asked me about my license. Right. He never said, why don't you get your license? Right. Every job I got was within walking distance of the halfway house. I had buddies come get me. Mom bought me a bike, even sober, whatever. But he never asked me about that, you know? So then fast forward a little bit. And we'll talk about this later during my men's process, but it's like, uh, one day he says to me, it's time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Now, I didn't know you can go online and look up somebody's criminal history like that. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought that was like <laughs> private stuff. Like nobody could find that out. But Joe found out that I had this warrant for my arrest. And then so did my, my sponsor. So um, we talk about it. We sit down and, you know, he goes, one day we got to deal with this. And I'm saying to myself, OK, 
One day we will deal with this. Two years later, I'm still saying that one day we'll deal with this stuff. But um, fast forward, I'm three something years sober, maybe four, and he says it's time. Now again, humbling myself to trust Joe and my sponsor is, is again a big thing. Like I don't trust easily. But up until this point, he's never lied to me, right? He's only had my best interest at heart. I'm a, I got a little money saved. I can see the program working in me, you know. Um, God, I believe, is the ultimate chess, chess master. So all my trouble happened in Georgia. And I know I'm skipping up to the eighth, and eighth step, but, again, this is big for me because I want somebody who is going through the same thing with this secret, you know, like, if you don't trust the person now, I, I get it, but don't not do your fourth and fifth step because of that one secret. That's all I'm saying. Like, do it anyway until you meet the person, you hear your story, somebody's speaking from the podium, but God's going to make that happen. So anyway, he said this time I got, you know, and when I left Georgia, I had no family there. You know, my brother had just moved there. I'm sorry. My cousin just moved there, but I left. And then uh, when it's time to go back, you know, I got a little money saved, consistency working at this job that I have now. I've been there for a little bit and uh, my boss happens to be in the program so he knows what I'm about to go do and um, they're like, just trust the process. Like, trust God. And again, I'm four years sober and I don't even believe in God yet, like, all the way in. Like, I believe at the time that Joe was the one keeping me sober and me living at Solutions was keeping me sober and me owning the halfway houses keeping me sober and me sponsoring guys keeping me sober. But God was getting under that credit still. Like, that's the ego, Right. And um, so we call. My cousin happens to be there, and uh, she gets me this lawyer. And um, I call him, and I tell him what happened. And he's like, whoa, seven years ago, and you got these warrants. And he goes, all right, I'll get you a case. And again, the book talks about, well, I'll grow this fear in the four-step promise. But I was very scared at this point. Because, again, I'm about to uproot my life and put my trust in <laughs> old attitudes I disbelieve rednecks from Georgia, and I'm going to be all right when this is done. I don't believe that, but I believe that Joe believes. So we get this lawyer, and um, I fly up to Georgia. Now, again, mom doesn't know. I didn't tell her about this warrant. You know, she knows I'm sober. The actor, I'm doing good, mom. I'm sponsoring all these guys. I'm Mr. AA and all this stuff. And again, that's that that, that applause I'm seeking. That's that double actor I'm leading and stuff. And uh, so when I go to Georgia, Joe best friend in the world. He comes with me. I get letters from people all around Broward County and AA and stuff. And I got like a hundred letters. And so we fly up to Georgia. When I get to Georgia, I call my mom on her cell phone thinking she's in Rochester, New York. No, mom happens to be in Georgia visiting my cousin. Right. So I'm like, this is crazy. You know what I mean? So we all decided to get together that last night and have a final supper or whatever. And, uh, we go to my cousin's house out in the sticks and it's like 20 of us and stuff. And we have this big feast and we're talking about things and, you know, they see somebody different or whatever. So that night we pray, me and Joe, and the next morning we get up and now the fear sets in again and again. <laughs> God in these four years hasn't hasn't let me down in any shape, kind of form. In no way has he ever. I talked about it last week about these character defects. If he can remove those character defects from me, why then can he not remove this fear? Why then can I trust that he's going to take care of this? You know what I mean? Why can I believe that 
man, Keith, he, he sees that you're, you're, you're all in, that he's not going to let anything happen to you. My mind doesn't go to that. My mind goes to, these guys are going to screw me. I'm going to do 20 years. I don't have faith, right? And Joe's just shaking his head, <laughs> right? So we prayed that morning, and the prayer wasn't like, God, you know, please don't let me go to jail. It was like, God, please let your will be done. That was it. So we get to court that morning, and um, my mom's there, my cousin's there. I'm dressed to the nines, packed courthouse, a lot of cases. I'm thinking I'm going to be last. I'm first. And uh, I get caught up to in front of the, the judge, and I'm shaking, and Joe's just like, God's got you. I'm looking back at him. I'm going to kick your ass when we get out of here. And uh, <laughs> he's like, God's got you. Right? So I get in front of the judge. The judge asked me, like, Mr. Neal, how you doing? Where you been? Now, mind you, the charge from 99, this is 2007. And I, trying to be the, the comedian, say I was out doing some more research and develop, Your Honor. He didn't find that very funny. So we tell him what was going on, what I've been up to, what I've been doing. I'm four years sober, Your Honor. Here's some letters from Florida. You know, I'm co-owner of a sober living community. Um, this is part of the reason why I came back is because of this process in the book where I got to make these amends. I didn't want to be here where I'm from. We don't turn ourselves in, but you know, this God thing and this guy back here says I got to do this and they got a little truck or whatever. And so then he looks at the prosecutor, Mr. Prosecutor, what do you want to give Mr. Neal? And this guy says, uh, something like, let's give him five years, uh, probation, three years and lock what lock up or something and a $5,000 fine. And I'm trembling. And I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to kill Joe when I get back here. I was fine. I was living in Florida. I was good. And the judge says, no. He goes, thank you for your recommendation, but no. Mr. New has rehabilitated himself. He's sober. So I'm going to give him three weeks in jail. I'm going to give him 18 months probation and like a $1,500 fine. And I was like, floored, right? I looked back at Joe and my mom and they're like Joe just knew like I knew you know what I mean and so they took me right then and there I was giddy you know I gave Joe my wallet and my phone and all that stuff and my mom's crying and I'm like it's all good mom it's all good right so I go back to jail and um, we're in there and uh, I'm there for three weeks whatever and I'm in this cell with these little young people they're jits what you call them and stuff and you know Mike's heard this part of my story but for you people who don't know. So I'm in this jail up there in, in Gwinnett County and, uh, you know, nice looking jail for jail sakes. You know what I mean? They had a microwave and they had a, uh, <laughs> they had a, a cigarette lighter on the basketball court for your Newports or whatever. And, you know, very clean or whatever. So we're in, we're in the, the pod playing uh, spades and um, watching cops. And because uh, that's what we do in jail. We watch cops. Right. And uh the guys are talking and we're playing spades and stuff and eating ramen noodles and shit. And uh, they start talking about, you know, our charges and what we did. And, you know, back in the day, we like to set the bar and brag about, you know, what we did, our conquest and stuff. So they go around the, the, the pod and, you know, why are you in here? Oh, I'm in here for selling a key to an undercover cop. Why are you in here? I'm in here for armed robbery or some shit. Right. They look at me. Why are you in here? I'm like, I turned myself in for a DUI seven years ago. What? 
yeah, I turned myself in for a DUI seven years ago. Now, I wasn't preaching the program to them, none of that stuff, right? So they looked at me like I was crazy, like I had two heads. Like, you turned yourself in. Yeah. I said, uh, now I'm a free man. And again, they looked at me like I was crazy, right? How are you free? You're in Gwinnett County eating ramen noodles, watching cops. <laughs> and I was like, well, and again, Joe taught me this. Like, my past is dictating my future when I didn't do that, right? I said, now my past can't hurt me. I'm a free man. I'll be out of here in three weeks. You got to be doing 20 years, but I'm a free man, right? So I say all that to say, this how it works, right? My, I wasn't going to do any of that until I got sober. I wasn't going to do any of that until I got with some men armed with the facts. And, and once seeing that happen, right, and again, at this time, I'm four years sober, I still wasn't give God the credit. But when I got back from that little jaunt, my, my relationship with him, like, skyrocketed. And it wasn't because I got three weeks in jail. It was the fact that Joe kept telling me that he didn't bring me this far to drive me. Joe kept telling me, you're not the one who kept yourself sober for four years. So you need to do everything you can to enhance this relationship with him, right? So when I got back from that jail set, that jail stint, I was all in with God. Like, he started getting the credit. And not by me going out, our father is holy thou and God is this great and God is good. And I, I don't do that. Like, to me, that's, eh. uh, no. You should, you should, I should be able to tell you about God. I might understand without saying a word. But what did happen was, and me and Mike again were talking about this before the meeting. Like, if this thing is all about seeking God, what am I doing on a daily basis to seek this God thing, right? So when I got back from that, that, that stint in, in uh, Georgia, I dove head into church with Joe, like the biggest church in South Florida. And um, again, I had to be dragged to that thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, a, oh, let's go to church, Joe, and, and become altar boys. No, no, I had to be dragged to that. And, and ever since then, you know, I, that, before this pandemic, that's how we started our Sunday mornings. You know, we go to church, breakfast, get close with God that day, and off to the races. And again, I can still be the biggest hypocrite in the world, right? So there was something that happened to my pastor um, about eight years back where he had a moral failing, so to speak. And, um, you know, it came to be where it came out and, and they, they ostracized him for the church. And when I say ostracized him, they erased this man from the, from. it's like back in the day when Moses found out he was a Hebrew and, and Ramses was like, Strike his name from the, the books and strike his name from the pylons and shit. That's what Calvary did to this man. Like, gone, right? And I'm like, that man brought me closer to God than any other person I could think of besides Joe and John. Because he had a way of preaching the word where it wasn't talking down to you. It was talking at you and, like, talking with you. And he was more of a friend, like a somebody I could sit down and have coffee with. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I know I'm off on a tangent, but, Yeah. That's where we are with God. Like, he's been showing up in my life ever since I got sober, but that, that right there was just amazing to me. So back to this fifth step. So that, that one thing I didn't tell him, Joe made me tell that story because, tell him in my response because he went online and found it. But anyway, <coughs> it says, uh, psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances when we were giving these doctors a fair break. So again, you know, 
back when this book was written, they didn't have sponsors, right? They had the church person or the preacher or the the doctor or the wife or kid. You know, I I chose my sponsor because to listen to my fifth step because number one, I wanted what he had, but number two, I, I needed him to hold me accountable. I needed somebody. I needed him to be somebody I'm gonna be around all the time. Like who I'm around my boss more than anybody, so to speak. And and I, I need him to hold me accountable. I need him to step in my stuff when I'm, I'm not saying I'm want to be that guy, right? When I'm going against what I said I want to be, he needs to be that person, right? So I hope you guys have that in your life. So that's why we listen to these fist steps. We know a few instances where we've been giving these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice, right? Again, when I tried to the yeah, buts, yeah, buts, you don't understand, he wasn't having that, right? Because he did understand because he did the same thing to his family. You know what I mean? He held me accountable. There was no, yeah, Keith, I understand. No, <laughs> you don't understand. You did that because you're a selfish, self-centered bastard, right? I'm willing to be honest with these sympathetic men. We were honest with no one others. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody. Now listen to this. If we expect to live long and happily in this world, right? It doesn't say if, if I want to stay sober, Right up until this point, nobody really knew me, like the whole me. You knew bits and pieces of of what I let you see, right? But you didn't know the real me. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we chose the person or person with whom we take this intimate, confidential step. And again, this is my fifth step. So even though something was done to me where I didn't set the ball rolling, I can tell you what I did do. I played the victim. I ran that for all it was worth for years and years and years and years. He made me see that. You know what I mean? Like for somebody who's been, and again, I don't want to offend anybody or, or step on toes, but my, my reason for saying this is this. Like let's say you were molested as a child, right? Or you were raped or whatever. Again, horrible situation, horrible. You, you didn't cause that. You didn't do anything to cause that. You didn't author that. But how long do you want to hold on to that and let that run you, right? How, so there's ways to get help for that. And, and he taught me that. Like, I can remain the victim in any situation, but how long do I want to stay sick, right? So I've had a couple of sponsors who had that happen to them. And at first it was like, you know, <laughs> trying to be a hard ass, like, oh, what's your, what's your motive for telling that story 30 years later? What a, what a jerk I was for saying that. You know what I mean? No. Let's get you the help you need, right? So that doesn't run you for the next 30 years. Stuff like that, right? And doing this fist up, I'm able to, when I sit down and do a fist up and listen to a fist up, you know, it helps me with that person. And again, I tell this sponsor this, this fist up, hoping and trusting that nobody's going to know this. Like, he's not going to go up, speak at a meeting and let my story slip out in his speech, right? He's not going to go gossip about something I told him. Once I do that, I'm, I, I lose all credibility. Nobody's going to trust me to be a sponsor. So that's sacred to me when I listen to my fist step, right? As is when I gave my fist step. So we talked about these promises, like nice step promises you hear at every meeting. There's third step promises I talked about two weeks ago. There's four step promises. But here are these fist step promises, right? And again, at this stage of the game, I have hope, right? I, got, I know the death sentence I'm, I'm up against. I know when I make that decision, until I do the fourth step, it was a good intention, but I know since I did the fourth step, I'm in. I'm all in. I know that, okay, yeah, you're a scumbag, 
but you, it, it, it can be fixed. So the book tells me. I know that I wasn't a forgiving person, but hopefully when I go out to make these amends, by me forgiving whoever I thought wronged me, that these people will be able to forgive me for my exact nature of their wrongs. So it's all entwined, in, so to speak, right? And so I told you a couple of weeks ago when I got here, you know, in our family meeting or house meeting on Monday nights during our meditation, we do a meditation like you guys, but it's not with music, but we do a lead, somebody does a lead or whatever, and we have the guys close their eyes. And we like to do this one where we have them remember the last 72 hours, 48 hours they were out there, right? Remember where you were, see it. Remember how you felt, feel it, lean into that, right? Basically, page 52, the bedevilment. Basically, page 62, the selfish, self-centered. Like, basically wanting to kill myself when I got here. So I do these simple things, right? Not easy, but simple, if I'm committed. I do this fist-up inventory. When I'm done, I don't have a white light experience. It's not one of those... Um, it was just one of those things where like, ah, a weight's lifted. Somebody knows me. Pretty much all of me, except for that warrant thing. But this guy knows me. This guy knows what makes me tick. Here's what happens from that. We pocket our pride and we go to it. Illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken this step, Withholding nothing. Again, I just told you I withhold that one thing. We are delighted. Now look at this. We can look the world in the eyes. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I'd walk around with my head down or off to the side, but I wouldn't look you directly in the eyes when I talked to you. It was always me fidgeting or something, but I could look the world in the eyes today. It says, uh, we could be alone and at perfect peace and ease. <laughs> what? I can be alone at perfect peace and ease? I could never be alone before I got sober. I always had to be going out. I had to always be doing something. I always had to be the life of the party. And peace and ease, there was none of that. You know what I mean? Listen to this. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the, pre- the nearness of our creator. Like, man, I didn't want nothing to do with him a couple steps ago. Now I can feel the nearness of him, right? I felt him when I got back from, from jail I felt him when I did this because I haven't had a drink or a drug in whatever months it was. Hmm. We may have, we have may had certain spiritual beliefs. I didn't have any. But now we begin to have a spiritual experience, which you guys read before every meeting. The spiritual experience is different. This change, 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 change. My change on feeling, outlook on life, right? A new pair of glasses. All from doing a fist up. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. Now, if that's not a huge problem, I don't know what is. Now, that doesn't mean um, I haven't thought about a drink or a drug at the time. I thought about it. But when I think about it, I remember what it did to me rather than what it did for me. And I recall from it as a hot flame, right? They say this, play the, play the tape through or whatever. I'm not recovered, but that right there is a huge promise because for a guy who couldn't stop drinking and drugging, for a guy who drank and thought he drove better when he drove, <laughs> that's huge. Right? The drink problem has disappeared. Hell, when I used to go home, the first time I went home, I didn't go home for 10 months. Because for me, and I'll talk about this later on, I would book a flight. Back then, I'd make sure my layovers were long. Like, they would be long. The layover had to be long. The gate would be by the bar. Right? So, perfect. Right? Perfect. 
So I didn't go home for 10 months because I was afraid that I wasn't recovered. I wasn't ready to be alone in that situation with alcohol. But I go home 10 months sober to make those amends, and I'm, I'm there, and uh, <clears throat> the thought came in. Like, you're going home to face these people you hadn't seen in years. You need to take the edge off. Look around. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. Nobody knows me. I'll just have one or two, take the edge off, and I'll be good. The obsession comes back. The insane thinking, the insanity. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about insane in the second step. So what do I do? A moment of clarity. Now, I could have took that drink, but no, I go to the bathroom, a stall in the airport loaded with men using the bathroom. I get on my knees in the stall. Lord, please remove this obsession. Please remove this thought. And he took it away. I come out of the bathroom. I go to the gate. Wait for my flight. We'll talk about that later. But it says that feeling that drink time has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel that we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Huge promise for a guy like me. Didn't want nothing to do with God. Here I am with him. And the cool thing is, well, maybe not cool, but I'm still the same scumbag. Nothing's changed. You know what I mean? I just know myself a little bit better. Somebody else knows you a little bit better. But God has done for me what I could never do for myself. Listen what it says. Timeline. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for three weeks. Nope, doesn't say that. (laughs) For an hour, right? He gives me instructions. I get done with this fist up. Some heavy stuff just took place, right? I go sit for an hour, me and God. Carefully reviewing what I've just done. Was I thorough? And from my experience with this step when I first did it, I still felt dirty because I didn't tell him everything, right? I'm talking to God like, God, please forgive me for not telling him. I don't trust that he's going to keep that secret. I don't trust he's not going to turn me in. I'm giving it to you, right? That's not what it says. You know what I mean? But that was just for me. That's just my experience. But I still felt a little bit dirty because I didn't tell him everything, but I did feel better. You know what I mean? He knew me. My sponsor knew me a little bit better, but I didn't tell him everything. So during that review process, I'm like, God, help me. Help me to one day tell this secret. Help me to get honest with somebody about this secret, right? And the more people, the first person I tell, help me tell the next person and the next person until I don't have the fear of going to turn myself in. That was my prayer. It says, we thank God from the bottom of my heart that we know him better. Right. I'm thinking that I know him better. Right. Seek and I shall find. Taking this book down from my shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we asked if we admitted anything. And again, when I read that, I'm like, damn, Bill knows me. He knows that I'm going to keep that secret. And he's just needling me to tell somebody. But I wasn't ready yet. For we are building an arch to which we can walk three minutes last. Is our work solid so far? Are the storms properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement, putting the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Again, he's hammering me in that last paragraph to tell that secret. But I'm hardwired. I still have fear. I don't trust all the way until that four-year time when Joe knew that I needed a little pushing, right? 
So these first five proposals, as I said, I've done a lot of work up until this point, but I'm still not, you know, different. I'm still running, not running white as snow. Now the real work begins, right? <laughs> it's just the beginning, right? I did step four. I knew who you got when I showed up on the scene. I did step five. I took the trash out. But now it's time to go out and do these six and seven to, to do these character defects, work on these character defects. So that when I go make these amends, they get somebody completely different without me saying a word. So that's all I have for tonight. Thank you very much. Let's give it up for Keith again. We're going to have Joseph, our secretary, read the secretary's report. Hello, everyone. I am now Joseph, your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Joseph. Hello, everyone. Uh, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Um, as well as you people, and do you mean to say you people, anyone in the Zoom room um, or Facebook, um, can sorry can give on uh, AA.org. Um, AA um, isn't doing that great financially due to uh, not that many flesh and bones meetings. They could definitely use our contributions. Um, but so you can give online, AA.org, um, follow the link, and you can give there to the beautiful program that has been freely so given to us. Um, at this time, I'm going to ask a recovered member to read the recovered statement, which is my sponsee brother slash workout partner, Chris. To do that, here at this meeting, we say recovered alcoholic. You're probably like, what's that? Chris will explain what that is um, right now. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. 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 Recovered. We're not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> 1940-style big book sponsorship from the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. At this time, I'm going to ask uh, hands of recovered alcoholics... Hey, and um, everyone in the Zoom room, please oblige. Um, and now, um, anyone who is in need of a sponsor, please raise your hand. Um, and those recovered alcoholics, please reach out to anyone you've seen's hand raise and help bring them to God. Um, we have this meeting, and as also we have a Monday night big book study meeting where the big book comes alive brought to you by Mike Chase Doc possibly and uh, Old Bill um, with Chris on Traditions it's a great time fellowship starts at 6.30 big book study starts at 
We hope to see you there. All right, sorry. Anyway, uh, also AA.org, we have CDs, mugs, large print, big books for sale, little red books, big book dictionaries, another great way to help um, support AA. Um, we meet here every Thursday starting probably at 7.15. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you all. See you next week. Um. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. Um, again, we'd like to invite you, everyone, to the Monday Night Big Book Study Unplugged. And those who wish to thank the speaker, please um, comment in the Facebook Live or in the Zoom chat. Um, we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. God. Oh, whoops. That would be my name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next week.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Turn each way, flowers blooming all the time. 
Christmas songs And people sing along And stomp their feet and raise their arms And here in this moment that we share Nothing could come song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Take that one man that just won't. 